0: Alright brethren, so this text over the last couple of weeks, the Lord has seemed to really uh, shine it in front of me. I initially really began to think about it a couple weeks ago when Sergio and Nick and I were meeting and we were talking about Luke and we were just, we've been just sort of working our way through some of these chapters in Luke and I was just, I mean I was just at home doing my own study and read this passage, and I'll be honest with you, um, the way that I had always interpreted this passage, and the way that I think most commentators always interpreted this passage, uh, I have thought to be incorrect. I, I, I read it, and it was like the Lord just opened my understanding to it. And that's really my driving reason for why I wanted to come to it. I think there's some good things here for us. I think there's some good application for us as God's people. Uh, but I want you to see it. I, I was so encouraged to see what I what I believe Jesus was bringing forward to His people. And and as I said before, I think typically it's interpreted a bit wrongly. So um, I thought to maybe maybe ask some ideas here what you guys think, but. I think people get put on the spot and they get afraid of maybe answering something wrong, but that's okay. I, uh, I'll just say here how I think most people do see these verses, and as I said, to be, to be frank with you, how I saw these verses. If you understand them in the way I'm about to tell you, uh, you're, that doesn't make you a bad interpreter of the Bible. I think that you're taking principles from the rest of the Bible, and you're putting them in these verses to help you understand them. Uh, But simply put, those particular other principles, I don't think, fit the context exactly. But here's how most people typically come to these verses. They read verse 16, and it harkens their mind back to a couple different things. Jesus talking about, you're a lamp, you're a city on a hill, these type of things. And we will look at that, we will see its connection to that, but they think that, and they typically just think, oh, I am a lamp, I'm supposed to shine my light in the darkness. I'm one individual lamp, you're one individual lamp, and you're supposed to shine your light, and I'm supposed to shine my light, and, and we're supposed to bring that light into the darkness. And then, of course, obviously, the connection with 17 and 18 is a bit dicey because they don't seem to connect with that kind of idea. 17 and 18 seem to be just totally disconnected ideas, confusing statements that don't really have any connection to verse 16. But typically, verse 17 people are going to apply it to the final judgment. They're going to say, oh, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. At the end of days, everything is going to be exposed. Everything is going to be brought before the judgment bar of God. All of your sin, all of your works, everything will be made manifest before Him on that final day. Uh, If you're without faith, everything is going to be taken from you. If you do have faith, you will receive more. Or however it is exactly that they'll work it work it out, and then eighteen of course uh, somehow is going to have its connection with that. Uh, everything's manifested, and you need to take care of how you hear, and so that you hear with faith, and you come with faith, and so in the end you don't lose everything. But it just it's very disjointed. It's co- not only is it disjointed in the particular couple verses but it's very disjointed in the actual context of what's happening in each of the gospels each of the gospels where this section shows up it would make no sense for it to be about something like that and so i want to i want you to see here what i think jesus is really talking about again i i, I think uh, though so some of you may have seen this verse this way or maybe you still do. I don't I don't think it's a purposeful misinterpretation out of out of intentional study and 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 seeing it wrongly, but I think it's just we just bring in we bring in external principles. We come to the text and we say, "Oh, what is uh, hidden manifest?" Everything's going to come like, "Okay, here we go. I'm going to bring this idea over and I'm going to bring this idea over and we start putting them into the text." And I think Although those biblical principles are not wrong foundationally, they don't have a place here in this particular context. And so I want you to see, my goal is is two things, very simply. I have two things I want to do. The first one is I want to prove to you what I think Jesus is actually saying to the disciples here. And then I want to exhort you, to take care how you hear the words in this book for the very same reason that the disciples ought to have taken care how they, how they heard Jesus' words then. So let's see what Jesus is actually telling the disciples. As I said, in the context It's important to know the location of what's happening here. This comes directly after the parable of the soils. And even more so, directly after Jesus' explanation as to why he is speaking in parables. So he tells the parable of the soils, of the the sower going out and he's sowing seed. We looked at that parable uh, back a number of weeks. And then the disciples come to Him and they say, What does this parable mean? And why do you speak in parables to the people? And then we get 16 through 18 right after that. Now that's going to become important as we see its connection with the other gospel accounts and as we begin to work through the verses there. So just keep that in your mind as we move forward. So let's begin it at 16. I'm going to sort of work through these in order because I think... I think it would be easier in my mind to not work through them in order because there are some things that I think are abundantly clear and I want to get to them. But I feel like if I do it out of order, it could be seen as purposely trying to mess with it. So I'm going to do it in order. I'm going to go 16, 17, 18. And I want you to know that as we deal with them, it it will become increasingly more clear As we work through the three verses, what I am saying. But right out of the gate, obviously the first verse, we can only go so much on 16. we got to wait till we fill in some of the gaps with 17 and 18. But let's start in 16. And so Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So we need to answer at least two questions. One, who is the lamp? And number two, who is doing the lighting? Maybe we don't really think about that. We just think of the lamp. But, but someone is lighting a lamp. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed. So the simple fact is they're not the same. A lamp doesn't light itself. Someone has lit the lamp and put it somewhere, and that lamp is intended to accomplish a task. It really simply put, the task is to illuminate, to bring illumination to that which was once dark. The lamp is there, as it says here, so that those who enter may see the light. So what I'm going to argue is this. The lamp specifically represents those early disciples of Christ as a group. Not not individual little lamps, but a lamp. That the early disciples are a lamp. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that there's not application for us. There certainly is. And we will work through how it applies to us. But the text has a purpose. And I think until we see its purpose, until we see its true meaning, we really are not able to take application from it. If we just automatically jump to what does it mean to me and we don't know what it actually means specifically, then what it means to us is going to be all off over the place. We need to know what it means. And then we can go, okay how does this, what is this for me now as a disciple of Christ? So and I, I want you to see that the, the early disciples are the lamp, but not only that that the one lighting that lamp is none other than Jesus Christ Himself. I think that will become more clear, as I said, as we work through the rest of the verses. But the question is, obviously, why ought we take the lamp to be the early disciples, specifically and collectively as a group, rather than, say, each individual Christian being their own individual lamp, which is to simply bring light into darkness? Well, probably in reading these verses, you did recall to your mind what Jesus said in Matthew, early on in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So he does say very similar words there to the disciples. And the light in this context is quite clearly, if you go back and you look at it, is quite clearly the disciples to whom Jesus is speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. Your city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, right? And and he's speaking to them as a group, as a whole. The you in the phrase, you are the light of the world, is a plural you. It's a plural you, and as Aaron eloquently said it last week, this is how you would put it, all y'all are the light of the world. All y'all are the light of the world. Jesus says you all yourselves to His disciples are a light, not individually, but collectively. You're a lamp. Simply put, that light was intended to bring illumination to what was dark. He says later on in the same section in in chapter 5, On this Sermon on the Mount, "...let your," again, plural, "...let your all light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So the light being shined forth is ultimately intended for the glory of God. But we know now, the light is a reference to the disciples, those early disciples whom Jesus was speaking to, and them collectively." They were a lamp. But obviously the question still remains for us. One, how do we know that it is them particularly, not not everybody? And how do we know that Jesus is in fact the igniter of that particular lamp? As I said, I think as we work through it, you're going to see that begin to work its way out. So look look at verse 17 with me. As we read this, again, we have to resist the urge, brethren, to rip this... ...out of its place, out of its context, and make it out to be something that it is not. He says, "...for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light." As I said before, people, people will take this verse, and because they, they think of the context of what the final day will be... And they think of other verses that do speak about that final judgment. They put it in that category. And it's quoted maybe somewhat in this fashion. One day you will stand before God and give an account for every, every thought, word, and deed that you ever did. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be manifest before God. All of your secrets, all of your sin will be, be brought to light in front of Him all your works will be exposed." Now listen, is that true? Yes. Yes. That is true, right? It is, that is true. That's not untrue. And yet something can at the same time be true and a misuse of a text. There's a, a book that, um, it's probably, I don't even think I have it. I think I just have had it on my list for like years but uh, I think G.K. Beale wrote it, it's called Right Doctrine, Wrong Text. And he goes through all of these texts that people use, and they, they they say true things out of that text, but it's the wrong text to use. A text is not intending to make that point. And while that is true, that every secret thing will be exposed before God, I do not think that that's what Jesus is getting at in this, in this particular verse. So. We need to, we need to, uh, I was trying to think of this, this, uh, golf phrase. I, I don't exactly know how you're supposed to say it, but I think it's play it where it lies. Right. Okay. I figured you would, you would be, you would help me out. We got hey, listen, if you playing golf and you're, you know, you like doing that, sometimes you hit your ball somewhere. You don't want to, you don't want to do it, but you got to play it where it lies. And so we got to play this text where it lies. So even though the words maybe seem disjointed, they're not. Uh, when we examine Jesus' words in other places of the Gospels, I think we'll be enlightened to what this actually actually means. One thing to note, Jesus is talking to His disciples. He's saying this to them. So whatever it means, it has to have something to do with them as his disciples. I want you to imagine Jesus saying it somewhat like this. You, my disciples, are a lamp or a light intended to bring illumination. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So look with me at Matthew 10. I want you to see this. Matthew 10 starting in verse 16. I think reading this section here makes it a bit clearer for us. Jesus is giving somewhat of a forewarning to the disciples about what they will expect because they're going to be witnesses for Christ. And on behalf of Him, they're going to suffer some things. And they're going to suffer some things pretty soon in the future. So Jesus is giving them somewhat of a warning here. So let's, let's read this a bit. And I think we'll see its connection with uh, those verses in Luke. Start with me at chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. For when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel. Before the Son of Man comes, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, look with me. Right here, verse 26, here comes the same idea that we had in Luke chapter 8. It says, nothing is covered. He says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So same phraseology that we had over in Luke. The difference is, in Luke, we're looking at it like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What's the connection? What does it mean? But in this section, Jesus tells us what it means. So he says in 26, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And look at verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. You have similar statements in Luke chapter 12, verse 3. He says, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now this is interesting because seems to be some pretty important clarity as to what Jesus is getting at. Is Jesus intending to tell the disciples that everyone's works will be exposed on the final day? Or rather is he telling the disciples that they will in fact be a lamp lit by Jesus himself which will bring to light that which was once secret. That they indeed will in due season make manifest all things which were once hidden. I'm convinced by Jesus' words that it is the latter, that He is telling His disciples that you will make manifest that which was hidden, and that you will make known that which was secret. And this, brethren, this is no doubt exactly what the New Testament is about. From Acts, you, you get it in Acts, even at the start of their preaching. From Acts to Revelation, the writers of Scripture are bringing to light all of the mysteries of God from the Old Testament. They're bringing to light all that Jesus taught. And he even told them this is what would happen. Did he not? John 14, verse 25 through 26, he says to the disciples, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus tells his disciples, I taught you these things, I'm speaking these things, I'm here with you now, but when I'm gone, the Spirit will come and he will teach you. He will bring to remembrance. You will be able to bring to light that which was hidden. And we see this reiterated over and over and over again in the New Testament. We read one of them in our reading earlier. Let's go to that. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, 7 through 11. It says, this is Paul's words. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles, now watch, look at how he phrases this. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brethren, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Now look over to Romans 16. He says it here as well. Romans 16, 25 through 27. The final couple words here from Paul to the church at Rome. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ... Brethren, so the idea is there, is it not? Time and time again, the apostles, the writers of Scripture are saying, this is what God was doing. This is what He's doing now. He's bringing to light all that was hidden. He's revealing the mystery, hidden for ages, kept secret for long ages. And now it's being disclosed through the apostles and the prophets. We can see it throughout the Gospels over and over again where Jesus is teaching the disciples and he strictly charges them, tell no one what you heard and tell no one what you saw. And it's interesting why he's doing that. No doubt the disciples are confused in the moment why he's doing that. But you have to remember, Jesus came for a purpose, to accomplish something. He came to die for His people. And brethren, too much light in the moment would have undoubtedly hindered that. You see it early on in, in His ministry. What do the Jews try to do? They try to take Him and make Him king. And, and he, he sneaks out of their midst. So they, they try to take Him and make Him king. It's not until actually later they want to kill Him. So too much light. You see Him casting out demons and they're saying, You are the Son of God, and He quiets the demons. Brethren, things remained hidden, whispered in rooms, in secret, rather than proclaimed in the open city streets. But this is, this is obviously contrasted with what we see after the resurrection and after Pentecost. What happens then? Well, the early disciples are filled with the Spirit of God And they're preaching in boldness. This is uh, the words John Chrysostom, early church father, about the 400s. Here's what he says. Jesus was conversing with them quietly and alone in a small corner of Israel. In contrast with this tone of voice, they would soon be preaching with boldness of speech that would in due time be conferred upon them. For they were soon to be commissioned to speak, not to one or two or three cities, but to the whole world. And they would soon be traversing land and sea amid, amid inhabited countries and across deserts, addressing both princes and tribes, philosophers and orators, telling it like it is with an open face and with all boldness of speech. Brethren, we see that happening in the New Testament. Aaron dealt with a, a prominent example last week. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, and what do we see Jesus tell him immediately? What does Jesus tell, tell Peter immediately after he says, you are the Christ? Well, right, okay, a little bit after that. <laughs> yes, he says that, and then a little bit after that. <laughs> Maybe not immediately. He tells him, don't tell anybody that. He charges him, don't tell anyone. You're all right. He does say those things too. But he tells him, don't tell anyone about that. And then after the resurrection at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, what is he doing? That's right. That's right. Acts chapter 2, he is standing up proclaiming, Jesus is the Christ. He says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Literally, he confesses Jesus to be Christ, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone. After Pentecost, he is standing up in the midst of the people and saying, Jesus is the Christ. Something that was hidden, now being made manifest. Telling from the housetops, so to speak, what was previously whispered in private. Bringing things to light, brethren. Bringing things to light. And those early disciples were to be a light. A very bright light, no doubt, in a room covered in shadows. Aaron has talked about it a bunch in the Bible studies um, on Fridays. But you have this idea. And some people might disagree with us about this, but nevertheless, we think it's biblical. But you have this idea in the Old Testament, and even the New Testament recognizes it, that it's shadows. You walk into a room and it's dark, and there's things there, but you can't really see them until the light comes on. And then you can look and go, oh, that's what that was. That was a chair, and that was a lamp, and that was, you know, this thing over here. And the disciples were to be a light, brethren, to be shown in a place that was covered in shadow. There was much that needed to come to light. Everything in the Old Testament that was once hidden and cloaked to some degree needed to be brought into the light. Everything that Jesus spoke needed to be brought into the light. And the writers of Scripture were doing just that. They were bringing it to light. They were making it manifest. And Paul quotes this. Acts chapter 13, verse 47. He quotes from Isaiah, where it says that the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Brethren, Christ lit that flame. And the gospel was to be openly communicated to others. No longer hidden in the dark, but brought out and diffused into the world, proclaimed, as it were, from the rooftops. And so that was what he, that's what he wanted them to do. He's telling them, nothing is hidden that will be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And that was their task. They were to do that. But with that being the case, you notice a warning there. Go back to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. You have Jesus' warning to the disciples. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, undoubtedly, these are the, the, the most difficult couple of words in this section. Most difficult because even in every section, <coughs> well, I think we get some clarity as to what Jesus means by the words. We don't maybe get as much clarity as we might want. And you'll see that in a minute. But there's two questions for us to answer. The first one is, what does it mean for Jesus to tell the disciples that they need to take care how they hear, take care how they heard what He was saying? So that's the first question. Second one is, what does it mean that some will receive more and some will have even what they thought they had taken away from them? So the first question is really somewhat easy. In Mark chapter 4, you have the parallel to this particular section. It's almost identical. But you have in in chapter 4, verse 21 through 25, Mark's parallel. In his account, he says it something like this. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So the idea is pretty simple as far as what that means. Jesus is telling the disciples, Pay attention, pay very close attention, be alert in your hearing uh, when you hear me speak. But not just hear it, not just take it into your ears and actually hear what I'm saying, but register it. Take it in so that you truly understand it and comprehend it and grasp onto it. And the question is, why? Why Why the words from Jesus? Take care how you hear. Why were, they, why were they told to pay such careful attention? Well, if you remember their task, their task was that they were to bring to light, what? Things that were hidden. Things are supposed to be made manifest by them. And so the question is obviously, how would they do that if they didn't hear properly? How would they be able to bring to light if they themselves were still in darkness? They were to take what was spoken to them privately, and in due season, preach it openly. And Jesus tells the disciples later on, Luke chapter 10, Blessed are your eyes, blessed are your eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear. it, Brethren, the disciples were greatly blessed. I mean, they were part of a time and a period which others would have only dreamed of being. They were able to see and hear things that Peter tells us later, even the angels longed to look into such things. And how foolish it would have been for those disciples to have heard Jesus in a careless and negligent manner manner. If the truths and the doctrines which they had heard were to be preached openly to others, how foolish it would have been of them to listen in a negligent manner and to not pay attention." Brethren, how diligently they ought to have attended to Jesus's words. Every word that he spoke to seek to understand it, to grapple with it. I mean, this is why the disciples are asking him, what does this mean, Lord? Tell us what the parable means, that they ought to have laid it up in their hearts and in their minds, that they would in time be useful in bringing these things to light. So that's what Jesus means when he tells them, take care how you hear. Be diligent to pay attention to what I am telling you. Question number two, what does it mean that some will receive more and some will have it all taken away from them? This is a bit more difficult. A bit more difficult to answer, but again, we do have other areas of Scripture that I think will shed some light here as to what Jesus means. So let's go to Matthew 13. This is the same section. If you remember earlier I told you, these words come right after the disciples asking Jesus, Why are you speaking in parables to the people? And in Matthew 13, Matthew um, 13, we're going to be in looking right there at uh, verse 10. You will notice that I'm bringing us directly to the same spot in Matthew's gospel. Now you will notice that the words are not exactly the same. The words are different. In fact, you don't have a couple of the statements that you have in Luke. But you have the same exact place in Matthew. And you have very similar statements. And I think some clarification here as to what Jesus is talking about. So let's read here, starting at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you. Now listen here. He answered them, To you, these are the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Now notice what is about to be said, and notice the language and its similarity to what was in Luke. He says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what's it in reference to? He says before, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And he follows it up with, for to the one who has, more will be given. So what is the thing that they has that they will be given more of? Mysteries. Mysteries. Secrets of the kingdom, brethren. That's exactly what it is. When we go back over to Luke, you probably should have told you to keep keep your hands in both of those. So he, he tells us in Luke, "...take care how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given." But he doesn't tell us what it is, right? We don't know what it is in Luke. Very sort of confusing, almost cryptic statement. The one who has, more will be given. What is the thing? Who knows what the thing is? But then over in Matthew, he tells us what the thing is. "...to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven." And he says, "...to the one who has, more will be given." Brethren, it's all about that. It's about about the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom of heaven being made manifest to you. They will receive more enlightenment, more knowledge of the secrets, more insight into Christ's words, more understanding of Scripture as a whole. Just like Luke tells them in verse 16 and 17. Matthew uh, 13, he, he tells them a little bit later in verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. That's Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17. So once again, he's telling them, you're seeing and hearing things that the prophets and all these righteous people, they long to see it, and they didn't see it. And you get to see it. You get to be, have the secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven made manifest to you. But what was Jesus' catch to the whole thing? You remember it, back in Luke. He says what to the disciples? What's the warning? Take care. Take care, then, how you hear. Be mindful about how you're hearing. They needed to take heed to the manner Of which they were hearing Jesus, so that in the end it wouldn't all be for loss. If they were to take care how they heard, and they were to listen to Jesus properly, oh brethren, what glory would have eventually been given to them? If they would listen properly, and attend to Christ's words, and be taught by Him, brethren, what gospel light would have been been given to them? to then be made manifest to others. There's this verse in the Proverbs. Proverbs 4.18. They would have been like this, like the righteous. Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Brethren, whatever they had, if they would have made proper use of it, they would have been given more more knowledge, more gifts, whatever it may be, that they may shine brighter and brighter and brighter as a lamp. But if they didn't take care how they heard, they would soon find that all that they thought they had would be removed from them. Brethren, a show of knowledge and insight, a show of knowledge and insight will be shown to be just that, Just simply a show. Not the real thing. Whatever supposed understanding that they thought they had, if they did not take heed how they heard, would be removed. Any gifting, anything else would have been stripped away from them. Any knowledge, any secrets of the kingdom. And brethren, listen to this. No doubt... During Jesus' ministry, there would have been many that heard Jesus. Many! I mean, when Jesus is teaching, he's not just teaching the twelve apostles. If you read the Gospels, you find huge crowds of people are attending his preaching. He's preaching to big groups of people. The only street preacher that ever did. But, but he is preaching to, to, to large gatherings of people. And no doubt, many of them would have heard and would have not taken heed how they were hearing. Jesus says later in Luke 13, He's talking about His generation and their entrance into the kingdom of God. And He tells them, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they will come into the kingdom of God before you. And He he says that they will say this, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he will say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. So they're there. they hear that we, you taught in our streets. We heard, you, we heard you preach. Jesus, we were there. We saw you up on the mountain. We, heard, we listened to you. We saw you went out in the boat and you preached to us on the sea. We were there. We heard you preach. And he says, Well, you didn't take care how you heard. Depart from me. They may have heard, brethren. There would have been many in that day that may have heard, but they would have heard wrongly. They didn't take heed to how they heard. And Jesus is warning His disciples, don't be like that. Don't end up like that. Take care how you hear. So that's the idea, brethren, in the text. Jesus Christ lights this lamp of these disciples that are meant to bring to light things that were in secret and in darkness. To make manifest things that were hidden. And he warns them, you take care how you hear. This is your task. If you don't, if you don't take care how you hear, you won't do this task. But if you will take care how you hear, even what you have, more will be given to you, brethren. More secrets of the kingdom, more enlightenment to the mysteries of God. What a glorious thing it was for them. But now that we can see with some clarity what Jesus is saying to the disciples, we can see how this applies to us. And I will tell you this, I think it applies to us almost in the same exact way that it applied to the disciples. Now the mode is a bit different, of course, but the action, nevertheless, I think is the same. The disciples, of course, were with Jesus in person. They they literally heard Him physically speak. Now we don't have that. We don't have Jesus' audible voice that we're listening to. But this book, brethren, this book is God's revelation. This book is really the words of Christ for us. Through the Holy Spirit, working through men, God's words have been preserved for us down through the centuries, as much as it was for those disciples when they heard these words. So, brethren, what I exhort you to do is two things. One, take heed how you hear these words. Are you paying close attention to them? When you sit down and you read this book, are you alert? Are you you coming to it paying attention to what Jesus is telling you? To what God is telling you? And not not just hearing it, brother, we can do this. We can get in a place, and I know many of you have done this. I've talked to you about it. Some of you have known I've talked about it. But where you read it, you you might read a whole chapter and go, I literally don't even know what I just read. And you go back and you read it again, and you read it again, and you read it. You might read it seven times, and you don't even comprehend what it is that you just read. But brethren, are we coming and are we hearing and are we registering and taking in and truly understanding what is being told to us by God? Are your eyes being enlightened to the mysteries of God, to the glory of God, to the glory of His revelation? Are you hearing with ears to gain more insight into the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? This is no doubt what Paul prays for, for the Ephesians. Look with me at this, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers." Now here's what Paul is praying for, for the Ephesians, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. You see that? That's what Paul is praying for for the Ephesians. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So you see what Paul is praying for the church? That the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's what he wants for the church. He wants them enlightened. He wants them to be able to see and hear. Brethren, it ought to be the same desire for us, that we would see and we would hear. Brother, well, we need to be careful. I was looking at I was reading through Isaiah. I'm not gonna have you turn there, but reading through Isaiah and come across this passage that has again often been somewhat confusing to me. But but we need to be careful that we don't become like the Israelites when they were on their way into exile and into judgment. In in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah tells us that the prophets and the priests of Israel had become drunks, they couldn't lead the people, and the people were led into all sorts of idolatry and sin, and their judgment was sure to come. It was, I mean, it was coming, regardless. The people weren't listening. And despite all efforts, the people would not turn from their sin. And they wouldn't hear the prophets, because the prophets and the priests had become incapable of leading the people. And, and Isaiah even tells us that even if God Himself were to try to teach the people, they wouldn't listen. He says that they had become like a child weaned from milk. Like those taken from the breast. Brethren, a child that young barely has any capacity of learning, let alone to learn the deep things of God. And so what Isaiah says is that the law and God's word had become to them nothing but precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And now this is an interesting phrase. If you I mean most of us, I can't even do this without using different resources, but most people can't recognize that the language in and of itself is actually very difficult to translate because they're not even real words in that section. The point is to say, most Hebrew scholars are saying that what is being said there by the people is some kind of mocking phrase, that, that literally what the, what the prophets and the people are saying to them is nothing but babble. It's unintelligible. To the people, the, the, the word and the law of God has become nothing but an accumulation of precept upon precept, rule upon rule, one little mandate followed up by another little mandate, and then here a little and there a little. They find nothing great in the prophet's teaching. They find no great principles. All they find for themselves is a perpetual drizzle of rule upon rule confining them. That's what the Word has become to them. They are heading into judgment, and they have become so hardened to God's Word that it's nothing to them except line upon line. Brethren, if we begin to see God's Word in this way, nothing but line after line, rule upon rule, and simply a very thick, wordy manual to life, and it's nothing more than that, If we fail to see the glory of God, the manifest wisdom of God in these words, and our hearts not filled with worship, brethren, we have set aside ears to hear properly. It is crucial that when we come to these words, we come with ears desirous to hear, and eyes desirous to see. And so the exhortation is the same. Same to you as it was to them. Brethren, take care how you hear Christ's words. Because what a glorious promise is given. To those who have, more will be given. More will be given to you. More will be given to you. I mean, we sometimes <clears throat> that, that, those words to me... In, in, in probably more right now in this moment than even they did throughout the rest of the week give me such encouragement to continue to go to the word to continue to go to the word because all of you have found this to some degree you read the bible and maybe you read a certain passage or you read a book and you come back to it and you go oh wow i haven't how did i not see that before and it's your eyes are enlightened to it you had, and more is given to you. Is this not true? This is true. But brethren, after you, sometimes after you read the Bible for so long, I mean, I, I've been reading some of these books for over 10 years, and I've read them more times than I can count, and and sometimes I come to them and I just read them, and it's just like, uh, it's it's hard to have that in your mind, to remember that, more, more secrets of the kingdom, more enlightenment, more glory will be revealed to you. To the one who has, more will be given. What a glorious promise for us, brethren, if we would come with ears to hear. Secondly, this is the last thing here, I'm convinced that the reasoning, remember the, the reasoning that the disciples were to take care of how they heard? What was the reasoning? Not just that they were to take care how they heard, but they were to take care how they heard for what cause? Right, to be a lamp, to make manifest things that were hidden. So, this is the same for us, brethren. This is the same for us. They were to make manifest that which was once hidden and make known that which was once secret. Now, you obviously are not going to bring to light new revelation but it is true that there still is much darkness in this world that does need that lamp. And brethren, Jesus Christ lit that lamp over 2,000 years ago and it burns brighter today than it did then. But the, the reality is this, brethren, it doesn't burn bright enough yet. Jesus Christ lit that lamp, and those disciples brought light to the world. They made manifest things that were hidden. But brethren, there's still darkness. There's still darkness all over the place, and that lamp will be brighter still. And Paul brings this out. As he talks about his journeys, his missionary efforts going out into the world... He says this to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. He asked them to pray for Him. And here's what He asked them to pray for. You can turn to these if you want. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Now here's what he's going to say. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. So that's what Paul's asking the church to pray Pray for me, that I would declare the mysteries of the gospel, and that I would do it boldly. Now go over to Colossians, just a couple books over. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2-4. through four. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word. For what? To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to to speak. So brethren, Paul was to bring out those glorious realities of Christ to those around him, and so are we. So are we, brethren. The task of the early disciples is the same task for you and I, to some different degree, but it is the same task. But brethren, how in the world are we going to go out and make manifest and and bring to light things without first taking care how we hear Christ? how we hear these words. How will you d- declare clearly and boldly, which is what Paul is asking for in his work, the mysteries of Christ and His kingdom, if we don't know them ourselves? Amen. We need to take care of how we hear, brethren, so that we might do this. How important it is for us to do that, to come to His word and long to hear. Long to know what God has said to you, that you might be a mouthpiece for Him. Get with the Lord and make it your priority to come to know what God says. To come to know what God says. The qualification for an elder, I know this is not same qualification for every Christian. But brethren, would this not be something to strive for? That you are not ashamed in how you handle this word? That you know this book? You know what God has said? To make it a priority, brethren, to know what Jesus has said to us. That you might be like Peter, and in one moment you'll have it quietly said to you, and in the next moment you're able to proclaim it boldly in front of others. Once again, to those who have more will be given. More will be given. Brethren, what is committed to you in those secret times with the Lord should be made manifest by you to the world. Remember the parable of the talents. The master goes away and he gives his servants resources, money, talents. But he didn't give them those resources to be buried. He gave them to Him that they would go and trade and make and earn for Him. Brethren, take that which is hidden to the rest of the world and make it known. Bring it to light. And if it's not manifested by you to the world, brethren, it will be manifested against you. that you didn't take care how you heard. The knowledge and the gifts that we have will either grow in us, More will be given to us or be taken from us. Brethren, this needs to be used for the glory of God and for the edification of the church. We ought to take care how we hear that we might be a light, brethren, to the world. Let's pray.